Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I think they do exist in a way that's different than most bands that started in 1965. Like, you can't say that about Jefferson Airplane. You can't say that about, you know, Pink Floyd even, even though there's some bootlegging that I feel like is more hyper-specific to certain dates when someone snuck a tape in. But it's like when you listen to a Pink Floyd bootleg, it's literally like the same set list night after night in the same year. So it's not really that exciting. It's like they're just kind of polishing the turd, so to speak, not to like, I'm sure it's like, let me see if this I can outdo myself on the solo tonight. Or maybe they're just like, yeah, you know, do the solo and then we just go to the next thing tomorrow. And I just think with the dead, that was never the case. Like they were very much into hanging out on stage and like talking with each other musically and seeing what happened. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and deadheads. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode of Yesterday's Concert, author Mark A. Rodriguez discusses his book, After All is Said and Done, Taping the Grateful Dead 1965 to 1995. Grab your earplugs, because we're talking BMP tape trading. I'm here with Mark A. Rodriguez to talk about his incredible book, After All is Said and Done. We're going to talk a little bit about The Grateful Dead, bootlegging, audience taping, and just the mystique around The Grateful Dead. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Mark, uh, just to get comfortable, why don't we do a couple of icebreakers, have a little fun, get to know each other. So my first question for you is, how many dead tapes do you actually have? Currently in my possession, I have, I think, roughly, actually, let me, let me bring out the calculator. I think, I mean, there's 6,000, sorry, this is really nerdy. Um, no, I want the nerd. Give me all the nerd. So there, yeah, uh, probably around like 13,000 to 14,000 tapes in the wow. storage unit or not in the storage wow. unit but in this the room where i keep all the tapes so when you say thirteen thousand tapes is that like thirteen thousand shows or thirteen thousand individual tapes it's just the individual tapes so that includes okay. ninth gen which i finished over the summer and then tenth gen because i always had to be one ahead in order to use the you know whatever the you know in this case ninth gen is is the art piece that can be shown now um and 10th gen is its successor so i need that and then so those encompass at this point 3000 over 3072 tapes per gen um and that number is climbing and then i have about yeah around like 7000 and some change tapes that i use to um, kind of make a new gen set from. Wow. If that makes sense. Wow. That's insane. That's so cool. I'm assuming you're a Grateful Dead fan because of, of this project. So, I mean, it would, it would be a little silly not to be, but I can understand. Sure. Uh, so since you have all these shows, do you have a favorite show or one that you've been loving extra lately? 
You know, to be honest, I I go through periods of like heavy listening and then no listening at all. And yeah. I think as a result of finishing ninth gen over the summer and dealing with the whole promotion of the book and release of the book, I've been like kind of not listening to the dead at all. <laughs> a friend uh, recently was like, what show should I listen to? And I think a, a real, a normal go-to for me that's like always really sonically rich and kind of, I think an amazing show and something that I also grew up with is Dick's Picks 10, which I think is 12, 29, 78. Oh, yeah. So it's like the closing of Winterland, but it's not New Year's. So it's not like a sloppy mm -hmm. show, but it's got, it's supercharged. It has a lot of energy to it and the playing's really good. And the set list is amazing. So if I'm on a Dick's Picks kick, I guess yeah. I'll, I'll resort to that. But otherwise, I, truthfully have not been listening for the last couple months to cleanse my palate. <laughs> that's a, yeah, I get that. You got to appreciate it better if you take some time away from it. Of course. And that's, I mean, that's a good segue into my next question is I love late seventies dead. Like that's probably my favorite era. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite era of dead? Mm, I mean, I think it changes. I think usually for some reason I want to keep like rummaging through the early eighties. I think like music equipment wise, like there's a just a particular how would you say this sound quality and technology in that time for whatever reason I think it sounds really interesting and like not crisp but it's still kind of a soft I guess I don't you know there's like a rounded edge to the instrument sounds I guess and also I think in that time period like the you know you're getting into like you're out of the 70s which is like fueled by like keith and donna psycho energy and like just energy from like accomplishing everything they did in the 70s and getting into like this kind of like i don't know i mean even though it's probably really coked out it's like still kind of slower paced yeah and like this uh certain songs like friend of the devil take on like this really uh halftime almost or like mm -hmm still has kind of almost like a it incorporates like a disco beat of sorts in terms of the bpm like so it's a high bpm but it's like a sluggish version of it maybe and i think in general most of the songs kind of start kind of taking like a slowdown aside from like touch of gray or something yeah in general i i am fascinated kind of by that time period i really i think this is the obviously a controversial opinion but like for me when i started listening to the dead i had tapes of brent playing like the fender Rhodes that sound so like that 79 80 sound is like kind of i don't know maybe it's just nostalgic for me but i like that plunking of those keys uh intermingling with the band at that point um and then moving forward in the 80s the um the hammond organ with the leslie cabinet starts to wail and it kind of you know they start incorporating a more blues kind of oriented um sound. i mean you know they're always blues but um even more so like kind of quintessential blues classic electric blues sound i guess okay so we'll move on to our final icebreaker question um <laughs> So this this is a fun, and then we'll actually get into the conversation here. Sure. Uh, so, what is your favorite Grateful Dead artwork? You can be Bertha, the Steely Dancing Bears, Terrapin Turtle, 
any specific Ooh. album cover do you have a favorite i don't that's a weird <laughs> i feel like i've never <laughs> approached that at all or do you mean like favorite like corporate logo or just like just art art connected to the band like i mean even if it's like uh because i mean there were several i took pictures on my phone of them just like j like j cards from the book that you did that i was like oh my uh -huh. gosh that may be some of my favorite art that i've ever seen is there any anything that they've produced that you're like that's my favorite thing when i see it of the dead i don't think i feel feel like that now having been immersed in it but i think back in the day i used to be really into like the ice cream cone kid yes and i liked how random the story is behind that or what you can find of the story of the um, ice cream cone kid and i think you know i mean like you said there's tons of j cards that i've sifted through with all crazy types of art so yeah. you know there's some that have nothing to do with the dead that i'm like oh, this is weird yeah um and then there's i guess there's just you know the graphics in general like you know nothing beats like a rick griffin design and also like a rio rio negro design like i i guess one of the most more favorite things that i had i own that i have framed so i obviously liked it a lot it was the, the rio negro set of backstage passes that kind of just it's for like the rainforest benefit that's cool and i think what i like about it is it kind of shows the irony of like a group as massive as the grateful dead petitioning <laughs> for like environmental justice but then it's also picturing all this deforestation and like fire and destruction but it's like you know a concert band or a band of that caliber at that point in time is also contributing to it. So it's like this yeah. funny ir irony to me. Yeah. Which is why it's like this. I don't think it's intentional in that way, or maybe it was, but it's just kind of fascinating that that actually went through the pipeline. And like, I don't know, it has a lot of elements that kind of point more towards like a statement or like an idea and this irony that I really enjoy. That's really cool. Well, okay. So broke the ice. Let's dive in. Let's talk about this awesome book. Sure. Uh, so let's set up some groundwork, kind of go back, set a foundation for the rest of the conversation. Tell me about the book. Let's start with the art installation that you, you, that kind of formed this book, I guess. Uh, can you tell me about that? Sure. The first part of the book kind of covers the you know in in relation to the book i wanted to set up context for why um the j cards in the middle of the book exist so i just didn't want like a coffee table book that just had j cards in it like that would be easy and fun but it wouldn't really give you any information about why this collection exists i mean it could just exist on its own obviously but so the first part of the book covers my artistic process which i have been w working on a series of sculptures from 2010 to the present and it's still ongoing the basis for those sculptures is an attempt to collect every grateful dead show that was recorded and distributed through the tape trading network on audio cassette taking it from there i over the years developed a process of making autonomous sculptures within a series that um don't you know those aren't complete 
uh, collections of all the shows that the Grateful Dead performed. It's like, you know, the first first gen started with 2,976 tapes. I, I don't even know still like what percentage of a complete collection that is, but it's probably around like three quarters. And so starting from there, I just uh, working with my already established art practice, um, kind of basically I'm repeating close to the same thing over and over again, but working within a system whereby I'm dubbing what isn't present or dubbing from generation to generation uh, what I don't have already in terms of like doubles or triples of whatever show that might be on tape. Mm -hmm. And conceptually, I'm kind of dealing with the idea that like there is a, there is usually an attempt to collect and to complete, which is present in at least American culture and like collecting culture and furthermore, you know, capitalist culture, which we all kind of subscribe to either subconsciously or consciously or both. I just think it's interesting that the Grateful Dead themselves are an artistic entity that have been recorded to the extent that you basically can witness their whole entire, almost their whole entire artistic output because you know, tapers existed and because they preserved the recorded concerts before tapers, you know, filled in the gaps. And that that is accessible to a layperson. So you don't have to be associated with the band. You don't even have to pay for anything. You, or you, do, you know, you might have to pay for some tapes or media, but essentially you, you can access that archive. So I think there's something that I enjoyed about kind of that dynamic and also pursuing that complete collection, but then also finding a way to work with it artistically, which is to degrade the sound while I'm building up the complete collection. That's so kind of this irony of sorts where, you know, at some point, hopefully like the, com the collection is complete, but then the sound quality of like, you know, a certain percentage of that collection will be completely obliterated so that mm -hmm. you have this dynamic that I'm posing where it's like the attempt of trying to collect everything is almost impossible. So it's kind of like, a you know, pointing out this Sisyphusian kind of task. Wow. There's a lot there that I'm going to have to unpack because that's awesome. <laughs> Let's one more question for foundation. Where did the idea to put the book together? Like, where did that come from? Because you, you have this incredible art piece. And then, like you were saying, like, the first bit of the book is about the art piece itself. And then the rest of the book is kind of the J cards, as well as these really insightful interviews with everybody that mm -hmm. kind of made up the the background of the taping scene that we know today. So can you kind of talk about the book side of it and where that came from? Sure. Yeah, essentially, when I was working with collect, just like collecting tapes for you know, an unknown sculpture that I was making or an unknown art piece. I was running a Tumblr blog, which basically I was making scans of all the tape covers that I was getting. And then I was putting those in chronological order. And then I was posting, you know, all the J cards I had for like, say, July 10th, or, you know, I would say it was July 10th, I would 
post all the tape covers that I had for concerts that were performed on July 10th, whether that be like 1973 or 75 or 86 or, you know, whenever they performed on that date. And so as a result, I had this huge archive of like scanned tape covers. And while I was kind of mulling over how to pursue this in terms of like an autonomous art object, I also was like, there's got to be a way to like, even like further develop this um, into something more than just like an autonomous art object. And also, it felt like I was doing an injustice by like, you know, hoarding all these tapes, but there's all this information uh, as far as the set list and all this graphic design on it, or all these, all this artwork, and that I had, I probably wasn't going to be able to show it. So I was like, well, maybe in a book format, like I will be able to like actually reveal like all the visual information and data. So that was kind of the start of thinking about it. And then when I pitched the book to Anthology at that point, I knew I wanted to, I guess, like provide a some sort of a resource or some sort of a history that would make sense in conjunction with showing J cards and like kind of a coffee table book kind of format. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, I like doing research and I like doing interviews either subconsciously or a little bit consciously. It's like, I want to find an excuse to like do some rummaging and also, you know, talk to people. So that was always in the back of my mind. And as the, as time went on trying to get the book kind of going, I, it was like, you know, time enough to develop kind of just like ideas of how I was going to approach that. So, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say like that third section is like something I always had in my mind that actually like came about because, you know, I went to the archive and dug around and looked for specific uh, documents that had to do with taping or the taping section. And from those documents, I was able to kind of develop a path to move kind of forward on and then mm -hmm. you know contacting certain individuals led me to other individuals and through that and my research like I found other people that I wanted to contact and kind of develop it more of the stories or like this kind of you know there's a little bit of linear trajectory I'm trying yeah. to accomplish through the interviews it's probably not very you know it's not very clear but to me like I knew I was you know, really trying to steer towards certain information. So by the time we got to working on the book, I realized like it would be good to have the context of the art practice mm -hmm. to kind of explain why these J cards exist and why there's, mm. you know, that that many or whatever, whatever context you, I wanted to create for that. It It is clear and it's enjoyable. Yeah. So pat yourself on the back. Uh, so one thing you touched on earlier, and it, you make it pretty clear early in the book, you, you put forth this idea that deadheads are collectors by nature. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting, especially as commercialized, for lack of better words, as the dead has become, especially today, there's a lot of avenues of collection for the Grateful Dead, um, just, you know, different things like that. But most notably, probably taping uh, is the top one. But can you expand a little bit on the idea, just the concept of deadheads as collectors that you've kind of touched on? I think part of the phenomenology of the subculture, I guess, is that, you know, for any 
rock and roll band in America, you know, it's not like it's not like you go to like an ACDC concert and then you come away from that concert being like, wow, I really want to witness that like every day of my life. And so I think in contrast to a band like that, you know, or, you know, I could name a number of bands that don't create this interest in seeing how the approach to the music changes uh, every single concert. So I think at, at its core, the Grateful Dead not performing the same set every day and not performing the same set of notes to play in a song every time that they played a different set every day set in motion kind of the the desire to want to witness as many of the musical experiences as one could potentially um and then going further from that i think that you know having recordings of this music plays into that kind of architecture further because you have you know you have a a a relic you have a pretty concise copy and proof of a concert happening and you can listen to the audio of it whether or not that's like accurate frequency wise to like you know what you would witness if you were in a concert hall or whatever and then i think it goes farther than that and i think this is more recently but in terms of fashion the fact that it you know the subculture has been around for so long and there's so many different participants and so much art kind of being generated whether it be official or folk lends itself also to people kind of clamoring for you know just more information and more historicization so it's like you know now you have people that are experts and like who are the artists behind the t-shirts in like the 80s yeah now other new artists working on t-shirts and you know like the ad the kind of you know fervor around well and i think this is kind of a little bit passe but uh rewinding also you have like all this poster art and you have this history of like certain eras in time that you know people also collected so um i just think it makes sense within just that primary architecture of a group of musicians not playing the same version of a song over and over again and not playing the same mm-hmm. cycle of songs for each concert setting kind of this area of interest for people to kind of not hoard but to want to know as much as humanly possible because it's of you know that it's i guess the sentiment and the energy is like rather infectious if if it hits you right i i was never fortunate enough to see the grateful dead but you know i I can still remember my very first fish concert and just getting home at like two three in the morning after the show going to bed waking up the next morning and i just i remember having this just insatiable desire for more and it was it was completely unexplainable i didn't i couldn't interpret the emotions that i was experiencing of why i just had to have more but you know that's what like somebody in your the book calls it like an all-consuming passion and that's not exactly what they they said it wasn't a hobby and you know it's such an interesting like you know live music for me is a hobby it's an expression it's a way to get out 
but when it comes to like tape collecting and hearing these shows and jam bands in particular like it's such a unique experience that you don't get from other live music it's something that like you do want to do the whole tour or at least like six shows in a row or something because the experience is vastly different on each of them i mean that's like even some of my favorite bands i've seen them multiple times on a tour and by the last show i'm like okay like i i, I can go a minute without seeing another show for a little while like it's just right. it's a completely different it's a completely different thing for bands like the grateful dead yeah and i mean also i think uh just something i was thinking about like the meetup at the at the movies just happened yeah. and i went with a friend and I didn't look at the set list, you know, I didn't really want to know or recollect, you know, what was yeah. going to happen. I knew like, it, you know, we're dwelling in the time period of 1972. So I kind of knew what to expect, but you know, as, as the movie progressed and the set progressed, it was like, all right, you know, when are they going to get into like, when are they going to find the spark? And, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, you see it develop and there's as someone that's into music in a particular way, like watching that spark or hearing that spark develop is mm -hmm. very pleasurable and very unique. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, for them being a group, an ensemble group of musicians, like it's really hard to have every musician clicking like in in that scenario where like maybe they didn't really rehearse how, how they were going to perform so you know once they get to trucking in tivoli you know you see it you just see them like take off and i think they were trying to keep the songs kind of shorter for television purposes but like that one kind of got away where they were just like let's you know like we're feeling this thing and you can you can mm -hmm. feel that as someone from the outside just looking in that you know there's this enjoyable aspect to that playing and what you're hearing is also like very pleasurable because you can feel that momentum coming from all the instrumentation well and that's when you consider like the breadth of grateful dead legacy and how big the band truly is i mean they were playing freaking stadiums for a hot minute and you know the, even now that in company is selling out stadiums and the legacy that they've left there it's a really bizarre story i mean like this the grateful dead is abnormal in every way possible for a band that plays some weird songs has lots of jams doesn't do the same show every night like they shouldn't be as commercially successful as they are yet somehow they are yeah i mean i i think it's kind of a weird i mean it's a, both like underdog like an underdog story and it's also kind of like i don't know i mean they're the only people that do that they or that did that and you know mm -hmm. somehow are continuing to kind of like keep that baton in hand you know for as long as humanly possible but if i tried to place myself as someone existing in like the 60s i don't know you know would i get would i get caught up in that you know like you were saying like with your your first fish show and I can share that same story about like going to a fish, you know, my first fish show and be like, man, this is amazing. Like, I want to, I want to know yeah. what the next concert is. Like, I'm, yeah. I want to get on the bus. You know, I think for me in my time period when I was able to go to a concert, that's what I had access to, luckily, and kind of caught some form of that energy that was developed by the dead over a span of 30 years. 
uh, prior to that. But you know, it's hard to I, hard to say. Like, if I existed way back when, would I be like, oh yeah, this is like what I'm totally, you know, mm-hmm. I'm totally into this. I'm, I want to see this band as much as possible. You know, you talk you talked earlier about just kind of how your tapes degrade over time, and that you're constantly having to make new versions and things like that, or new generations. We've all heard the grassroots story of like tape trading and how so many bands have really grown. Do you think the Grateful Dead would have the legacy they do were it not for tape trading? Probably not. I mean, I think that gives you the tapes give you a clear impression of like, you know, what's going on and also your accessible the accessibility of the tapes allows one to navigate however they want to within that world. You know, take into account you know, even jazz bands is like, am I that interested in like a Miles Davis concert or like, mm-hmm. you know, for me personally, not really because the recording usually is not that great because they weren't mm-hmm. planning on releasing that, um, nor were the dead. But I'm just trying to think of like a dynamic that I can compare the dead with. And it's like, you know, I prefer a Miles Davis album that's been like, worked on intently i don't really think like alive you know there are jazz bootlegs and they're cool to listen to but i don't get the same i'm just like oh someone happened to be recording that like that wasn't part of this whole thing i can't really go any further i can't go to the next date yeah and like i'm thinking of like even just like pop acts that i could compare to i just think it's it is the tape trading is very intrinsic to people being able to develop their own understanding of the band and kind of create their own relationship with the music if they so choose to kind of delve further into the band. And because of that, like, I think they do exist in a way that's different than most bands that started in 1965. Like, you can't say that about Jefferson Airplane. You can't say that about mm-hmm. you know Pink Floyd even even though there's some bootlegging um that I feel like is more hyper specific to certain dates when someone snuck a tape in. But you know it's like when you listen to a Pink Floyd bootleg, it's literally like the same set list night after night in the same year. So it's not really that exciting. It's like they're just kind of polishing the turd so to speak not to like <laughs> you know it's like oh let me see it. i'm sure it's like let me see if this i can outdo myself on the solo tonight or maybe they're just yeah. like yeah let's, you know do the solo and then we just go to the next thing tomorrow and i just think with the dead that was never the case like they were very much into hanging out on stage and like talking with each other musically and seeing what happened well and i think it, it to tie kind of things together a little bit too i think the 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 nightly taping of shows and like you were talking about to see the progression of different songs over the i mean that's what uh the amazon documentary i'm blanking on the name of it but that's what you know they're sitting there talking about well well this night was the best of that song no it was actually this night of that song and then they start talking about like well if you listen to an 82 version of this song versus 76 what like you know i think that kind of instigated for lack of better words the whole collector concept behind the Grateful Dead is just that, you know, you do have that historical archive document to say like, you know, this is what it sounded like that night. And so then somebody's going to say, well, what did it sound like the next night? And then the next night, and then you've listened to an entire tour and then you're moving on to the next year. I mean, it, it just, it lends itself to 
like a collector's mentality, really and truly. Yeah. And I mean, I also, I was just thinking about it, it's just like an auditory his- history. So, you know, it's like people get down with like, you know, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War and World War II and the way that people navigate that fascination with those particular histories is by reading and consuming as much data as possible. And with the Grateful Dead, you know, although it's auditory information and data that you're sifting through, you can really like delve it. Uh, you know, it's like a one-to-one basically in terms of research. So you can literally be like, what's the next night sound like? And what's the night after that? And you're, you're going to get as accurate a story as possible. Just to, it just depends on your subjective kind of, uh, perspective on what's happening and the number of subjective ways of perceiving what's going on auditorially is almost limitless like we don't you know i'm sure we share interest in the same music but are we either can we actually hear the same frequencies in the same way or are we deriving the same emotional state from like listening to the same musical notes um you know it's debatable but at least we both are able to like do that and we can somehow find middle ground with that information, with those experiences and with our emotional interpretations intact. Looking now, since you have this, you have a very physical format of the tapes in your hands. What do, what are your thoughts about things like archive.org and all these? Di- Cause I mean, taping largely as you know, history tells us, is non-existent now in a lot of ways. Like there's no really cassette trading so much anymore. If, you know, mostly everything just goes up on archive.org or a couple other sites. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I mean, I'm for it. I think, you know, there is a time in between me as a teenager that was trading tapes, you know, and there's a large span of time where I wasn't doing that. And then there's like 2010 when I started this project kind of reintroducing myself but in between that time archive.org popped up and i certainly was like this is great like you can sift around this for days you know i have nothing i i don't really have like strong feelings for or against it it's kind of amazing that it exists and great that like anybody can just listen to whatever they want that's present on there i mean obviously there's a whole there's a whole controversy uh that occurred you know where archive almost didn't house all the shows and that if i were of a certain age and mental state i would find that very provocative um looking at it from a historical perspective it's kind of interesting that that happened in relation to like how you know grateful dead the organization now celebrates it or needs to celebrate it because it's just too big to fail, I guess, at this point, or it just exists and has helped them so much that it's like undeniable, like the music still should be free in that regard and not enclosed in a, in a sealed vault um, to only be released like once it's remastered or whatever. So I think my thought too is around like, we see this massive vinyl resurgence and so many psychologists and stuff pinpoint the resurgence because vinyl is a physical format. It, I mean, it's the largest format in a lot of ways. 
physically because everything has become so digital we're wanting to reconnect with the physical and so i think that's the contrast of the archive website that i'm i'm wondering about is like we're going away from tape trading where it was this physical thing to a digital element yet the digital element seems to be kind of what's exploding right now in a lot of ways that you know it's the most accessible thing it's the most well archived version of it i mean i'm all for access i think you know for me you know i have a spotify account and i have kind of trimmed back trying to collect physical objects you know whether it be vinyl or you know i mean obviously i have this large collection of tapes which i think informs my uh you know my response in a way from working with that for so long is to not want things you know in within the spotify or the dialogue surrounding spotify whether you're for it or not you know and whether you think it's detrimental to the music industry or not it's for me i really appreciate it because you know i don't necessarily appreciate the business practices of it but i do appreciate that it's more easier than ever before for myself to sample just a whole host of different sounds that like when i was younger uh or you know before spotify existed it's like i wouldn't be able to listen to like what it something sounded like i might be curious but i'd still have to put money down and then it might be a stinker and i might be like sitting on this thing i think it's a benefit for me personally to have as much access as humanly possible and within the digital realm you're able to do that and you don't have to lug around a whole bunch of stuff yeah yeah. And the other thing about it is like, I don't think, I think some people, you know, with like vinyl, it's like trying to also create like value behind the object or like say it's a limited pressing and it's rare, you know, the value is going to be higher. And I frankly don't really care about the resale value. It's like, I just, I want to hear the thing. Like I, I was trying to have this conversation with an interview with Record Collector Magazine in London and they, the pushback was that I had a very small record collection and that did that didn't qualify me as like a quote record collector. And my response was like, I'm a, you know, I'm clearly a collector, but it's like, I don't have to have the biggest collection to be a collector. And furthermore, we're talking about records where it's like, it's records are about sound and sound is about listening to it. So like, I want to listen to the sound. Like I'm curious about what thing, you know, what musical products people have made. I'm not interested in like collecting it for other purposes, for profit or anything. That's one thing that's cool about like archive is just the level of gatekeeping has to go down because everyone has access to everything. And I think that's ultimately kind of what the Grateful Dead wanted out of making like tapers available is that you know, it was available to everyone that everyone, anyone who had the gear could come tape the show, you know, and I, I think that's one of the cool things about the archive and having something like that available is, you know, if, if there's a show and there's a copy of it, it's probably found on there. Whereas back in tape trading, you had to locate that person and, you know, there was a level of gatekeeping like, well, I have this massive collection kind of like they were talking about. So I, I, the accessibility of it is just phenomenal. I think also in terms of that, you know archive existing too is that you have now a whole host of multiple sources of the same show so you're able to also see 
if you get more into it that like there's different ways to record there's different sound qualities you know there's different auditory images created by different tapers so like you're you know that's a whole other facet of kind of interpreting that information that's kind of fascinating to me that you know that much exists that you know you can take one date from you know a show on one date and you could have like five to ten different sources that all sound differently and then you could have someone that you know puts it into a matrix and like makes a matrix recording and like that'll create a whole other listening experience for you so you know you can interpret that show completely different from like maybe the tape you had you know there the one tape you had and yeah you don't have to hunt anyone you don't have to like trade lists and which is fun in terms of like old really you know you you and i obviously have experience with like a, a another time period where communications are slower paced and information is harder to come by so like that's always interesting to me that there was a time that existed where you worked harder for what you're trying to find so uh i don't know what that did psychologically or emotionally but for me you know i think it's like you got these payoffs for you know landing the gold so to speak of like the hunt you know it's like oh you know going back to like even like collecting vinyl or whatever like and or cds and not being able to listen to them beforehand like you definitely felt really good when you purchased the cd that you'd been looking for or heard about and it actually sounded great all the way through or whatever you know like if that was like an accomplishment whereas if you bought like an album that you thought sucked it's like you'd be like fuck like i just wasted all this time and then a furthermore insult to injury i like wasted money on this thing <laughs> i don't know what to do with as, as we're kind of drawing in on time uh so you know as a fan of the grateful dead this book has really unlocked a new level of appreciation for the band for me just showing that like not even necessarily the tapers perspective of things but just everything that led up to it and just what it accomplished for the band. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of being a fan for putting together this incredible book and just encourage, encourage others to pick it up as well. Is there, do you have any other book ideas about this in place or is there any, what's the next steps for the art installation? What's next in term in this realm? I mean, I think just for the art, it's just continuing along the process and that's pretty dialed in. So a funny part of my art practice is really just setting systems that I can just follow so I don't have to think too much. So that's kind of like just goes along in the way that it was designed to do. Um, as far as books, I mean, it truly was a joy working on this book. Love it if there were other opportunities to make other books, but I don't think I'm going to be pitching <laughs> anything uh, in the near future, but I, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's just like, I don't know how you, how I would apply, I could apply like the strategies that I used for different subjects, but it just like, you know, I, I keep thinking of, because people have asked me this question. I keep thinking of this Jaco Pistorius, like base tutorial video that is out there. And I think you can watch it on YouTube. Maybe it's still out there, but 
there he's like interviewed by the like the host of this like face tutorial the guy's like jago pistorius you're like a world accomplished bassist you made amazing music you've played with all the top jazz musicians of your time like compliment after compliment uh accomplishment after accomplishment and he's like what do you have to say and Jocko's like give me a gig man <laughs> like and i always think about that and especially in relation to that kind of questioning because it's like you know i'm open but yeah i don't really have anything um set as far as like you know i'm not like and then i do this and now i do this but you know it's certainly a fun experience to have the opportunity to do that and to have a publisher that is um in support of whatever you do so are you are you still accepting tapes from people if uh somebody might have something they want to send to you are you still accepting of course although it's really dr dropped off in the last few years it's been really hard to find the stragglers on my list is there uh, any way people can reach you, contact you to perhaps see if they might have something for you? Sure. Uh, there you can uh, direct message me on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, dead underscore tape underscore collector. Uh, and then if you're someone that just likes using email, it's dead tape collector at gmail.com. Very cool. Well, Mark, thanks so much for chatting absolutely fascinating stuff i really appreciate you man thank you go read his book people thank you thanks for having me on the show it's enjoyable thanks for listening to another episode of yesterday's concert thoughts similar experiences disagree let us know on twitter instagram and even tiktok or you can email us at info at yesterday's if you're feeling kind give us a review on apple podcast Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, and most importantly, take care of your shoes.